Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us, that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. But in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Messiah that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now this is a really, again, these marvelous words of Paul. He's already told us in chapter 1, verse 27, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. And what he's talking about is that when he uses the word worthy, he means that we would have a life of integrity. That what we say and believe corresponds to what we do and how we act and with regard to our attitude and with regard to our character. So he tells us we need to be a people of integrity. He also goes on to tell us we need to be a body that is seeking unity. Not just uniformity, we're doing the same thing, but a genuine unity. We're in this together. We are a team. And therefore, we are willing to make the sacrifices to put our own personal desires on the side for a moment because we are in unity. Unity springs up from within, not from without. Uniformity can be forced upon anyone by outside forces. And I share with you as a teacher how I can create uniformity in my class and control in my class just by outside forces, threats, punishment, or rewards. But that's not what unity is. Unity is something that wells up within that is just a natural, desirous response of individuals to one another. It isn't something that has to be forced on anyone. It is simply the manifestation of the desire to serve one another. So how can I get on board? Let's do this together kind of a thing. doesn't mean we can't have different thoughts, different ideas, different perspectives. But it means that unity wells up from a loyalty, a commitment to one another. And so Paul is telling us not only do we need to be a people of integrity, but a people that are developing and committed to unity. 
And then he tells us how this comes about. It really comes about, he says, by one major characteristic, and that is humility. And so what is humility? Well, humility isn't this false thing that suggests we are not what we really are, but humility is honestly affirming what and who we really are. It means that when we do things well and people will say, thank you for doing that, we don't say, oh, gee, that really wasn't me, you know, it was... God working through me. I had nothing to do with it. You know? And I shared you that story, right, uh, last week when I was at a church speaking and somebody sang. And afterwards, I'm standing by the door with the pastors saying goodbye to everyone, thanking them for coming. And uh, this woman that did this special song came through and one of the pastors or elders or whatever said, you know, someone, you know, thank you so much for your song. It was beautiful. I said, it wasn't me. It was God. You know, he said, I know, you know, God has given you a gift. And you do well, just want to thank if it wasn't me it was God finally he said well you know if it was God it really wasn't that good you know and that always stuck with me you know we say it wasn't really me God was right listen if it was God man it would be like off the charts but it's not off the charts because it really is us that God is working through so genuine humility isn't like this false thing I had nothing to do with it you know it's simply saying you know well, thank you very much I appreciate the acknowledgement and that God has used me to bless you, you know, in some way. You know, and humility is just a genuine acknowledgement of who we really are. And then he gives us an example of this humility, how it is seen. And he draws our attention to the Messiah of Israel. And he tells us, listen, this is one who was in very nature God in all of its parts, all of his parts, all of his ways, all of his attributes. Whatever God is, or maybe I should say whoever God is, that is what Yeshua is. So he says he's in very nature God. Not less than, not a little bit of God. He is in very nature, the fullness of God. Colossians says in his body was the fullness of God dwelt within him. And so he says that even though he was fully God in every way, Nevertheless, he took the form, very same word that's used, the form of God, meaning he was very nature God. It says he became very nature mankind, very nature human. And so this one who is all God demonstrated humility by taking on being a servant. And so what did Yeshua say? It came not to serve, uh, it came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He came as a servant to give of himself for us. Humility means recognizing who we really are. Yeshua is really God. But it also means laying aside our own prerogatives and considering the prerogatives of others. So Paul says, consider others better than yourselves, right in the same passage. Yeshua did that. It became a servant. Not only did he become a servant, but he sacrificed himself. He gave his life a ransom for many. He really died. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, to what degree are we willing to die for the benefit of others? I don't mean necessarily literally, although that may necessarily be the case for some, and it has been over the centuries. And there are many martyrs throughout our history for the name of Messiah and for the benefit of others. But when I'm using the word, I'm just saying, what are we willing to die to self for in order to promote the needs and desires of others? So that there's unity that flows out of a humble heart. And so he not only was a servant, but he also sacrificed and gave up of himself. 
So now with those thoughts in mind and the result being that the Lord would be glorified, he says, so now as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Of course, he's in Rome, he's a prisoner. But he also thinks that he might die at any moment. For me to live as Messiah, to die as gain. And therefore, the way you need to live is to live out your life, whether I live or die. Whether I'm ready to encourage or not encourage, your relationship with God must be such that you're desirous of obeying him. Now look what he says. He says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And this is a very interesting verse. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is really confusing kinds of stuff, because what this passage is telling us is, we're to work out our salvation, but it is God who is working in us. It's really a complicated passage in that respect. It would have been nice if he just said, work out your salvation. But he doesn't. He says, work out your salvation. Why? Because God is at work in you. There's always this kind of cooperative experience that goes on with the work of God in our lives and our own response to his work in our lives. Now, Paul is not saying work for your salvation. He's not even saying work in your salvation. He's saying, work out your salvation. That is to say, what is inside, let it manifest itself and come outside. It is a sense in which that salvation exists. Now allow that work of salvation to flow out in, through your members to one another. And it's not only here that we see this sort of connection, this this symmetry between our working and God's working, but it's in other passages too. There's an interesting passage in 1 Kings. You can turn there with me if you like. You don't have to, but it's where Solomon dedicates the temple to the Lord. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, he dedicates the, the temple and he prays. And in his prayer... He makes reference to the love God has for his people. O Lord, God of Israel, verse 23. There is no God like you. You keep your promises, your covenants. And he says to, to your servants. Now listen. Your covenant of love with your servants. And here's the phrase. Who continue wholeheartedly in your way. That is those that obey God. Those that are working out their salvation. But then look at what he goes on to say at the end of his prayer. It's a very long prayer. But if you look at verse 56, he says, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good purpose he gave through his servant Moses. Listen to this. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us, verse 58. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. In the first part of his prayer, he says, God is faithful to those who obey him, who work out their salvation, as it were. But at the end of his prayer, he says, may the Lord empower us to obey him. So he says, may he turn our hearts to him. So unless God turns our hearts to him, 
our hearts will not be turned to him. He has to turn our hearts. And yet at the same time, we have to obey him. That's the same sort of thing that's going on here. Paul says, work out your salvation because it's God who's working within you. Now, when he says to work out your salvation, this phrase, this Greek word that's used to work out in the New International is translated well because it says, continue to work out. It means bring it to completion. What God has started and what God is doing in your life, bring it to fulfillment. Bring it to maturity. Bring it to the place where God intends it to go. Don't stifle it. Don't give up on it. Continue to walk with the Lord. Continue to obey him. Continue to follow him. Bring it to a conclusion, a fulfillment. In other words, follow through with your commitment to the Lord. Don't walk away from him. Do not deny him. Do not fail to rely upon him. Keep your attention on him as you're moving forward in your life. There are, as Dan has said, and as we all know, there are dips and turns in the road. And those dips and turns can so overwhelm us that we might raise questions like, where is God in all of this stuff? Paul is telling us, continue to walk in his ways. Now listen, Paul is a man that faced many dips and turns in the road. We know of all the sufferings that he had in his life. All you need to do is look at, what is it, 2 Corinthians 12, 13 or so, where he gives us a litany of all the things that he suffered. And at any one of those turns, we might consider, where is God that he will allow this to happen? But yet Paul here is telling us, while in prison, with the limitations that he's experiencing, to continue on in your faith and bring it to fruition. And even in this passage, he speaks about his great joy and rejoicing in those to whom he is writing. So on the one hand, there is a purpose we are to achieve. We're to work out our salvation. To what end? He'll tell us in a moment. But there's a purpose. There's a goal that we are to achieve and that we are to attain. I know it oftentimes feels like we're just kind of moving through life one moment at a time, but Paul here is telling us that really isn't the case. There is a purpose for your life. There is a plan that God has for your life. He hasn't told you your plan. He hasn't told me my plan. Sometimes I've prayed and I said, Lord, if you would just tell me what you want me to do, I would do it. But then I remember Moses, who is told very forthrightly by the Lord, Moses, this is what I'm calling you to do. Number one, you're to go back to Egypt. Number two, you're to give a message, not just to anyone, but to Pharaoh. And you're to tell Pharaoh... Let my people go. And I'm going to do all kinds of miracles that will lead the people to follow you and to bring judgment on the Egyptians. And then I'm bringing you back to this mountain to receive my law and then to the land that I have promised them. Here is your marching orders. And here is your plan for your life. And what is Moses' response? Whoa, hold it. You know, 
His response is, you've got the wrong guy. You know? I just happened to see this bush burning, but it's, I wasn't really looking for it. You know, I, I made a wrong turn. And he said, I, I'm not eloquent. I can't even deliver a message like that. That's too complicated. It's a little too hard. And what does God say? Hey, listen, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm sending your brother who will be your mouthpiece. He will be your prophet. You will be like God to the Egyptians. Who would not want to be told that? You're going to be like God to the people. And Moses' response? No, no, no. It was tempting. You almost had me, but not to. So it makes me think, if God told me when I was 17 years old, here is the plan for your life. This is what it's going to involve. Now, I could go through this plan with you, but I tell you, some of it would be very enticing. You're going to be married to this woman for 40 some odd years. She's going to be faithful to you. She's going to be alongside of you. She's going to pray for you regularly. She's going to be there, whatever the need is. That wasn't bad. But then when he said, but she's going to have MS. She's going to be later diagnosed with a greater thing. You're going to be stretched. You're going to be on the sidelines watching and having to deal with this stuff. Whoa, hold it. You know, can we modify this plan a little bit? You know, you're going to be serving. You're going to be with me here in New Jersey. I got that. That's great. I love Jersey. Used to say to my students when they'd complain about the New Jersey Turnpike, I said, listen, don't go through it. You know, go around. We don't need you in Jersey. Go wherever you want. But leave, you know, if you have a complaint about our state, don't come and we're happy. So I could have stayed in Jersey and I've been very happy. But no, we were headed to Dallas as well. You're going to Dallas. Dallas. Isn't that like below the Mason-Dixon line? You know, I don't think they like Jews down there too much. I don't I don't know. And I can tell you stories. I can tell you stories. I never experienced anti-Semitism in my life until I became a believer. I don't know if that's true of other Jewish people, but I never did. And I had many non-Jewish friends. It was when I became a believer and I was in the church that I experienced it for the first time. I'll tell you this, but I was down in Texas and I was once introduced on the platform. We have a Jew boy with us. You know, and I said, I said, what? You know? And that's, that's one of the nicer things that I experienced down there. That's how I'm going to be in Dallas. And I love the educational, but Dallas? And then you're headed to Massachusetts. You know, I never left New Jersey, you know, my whole life. And here now I'm headed to Massachusetts. Fell in love with Massachusetts. That was, that was great. But then, after some years there, you're headed to Mar- Maryland. <laughs> you know, it's like, who ever heard of that state? I found myself there for 18. And then California? Land of fruits and nuts? What am I coming at, you know? <laughs> That's how we talk about it back east, but just letting you in on a few things. If God had told me his plan, I don't know. I'm really glad that he didn't tell me his plan for my life. I've complained and wanted to know. But the point is, where I've been, where Mary Lou has been with, this has been God's plan for us. This has been God's purpose for us. 
And God has a plan and purpose for you. But you don't know what it is just yet, which is God's grace to you. I know you want to know, but I'm telling you, you really don't want to know. You just want to allow it to unfold and to allow God to develop faith in him and trust in him at every turn. And the plan does not necessarily get easier. It gets harder. And for some, it can get really hard, especially at the end of their days. But Paul tells us here to work out the plan that God has planned for you and I. So there is a purpose to achieve. But fortunately for us, that plan and purpose that God has for us that we are to achieve is not left to ourselves to achieve. Because God is at work in you, he says. In fact, he says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Sometimes our plan and purpose doesn't look good. But Paul tells us it is good. Even Paul looks at his own life and whatever he might have wanted to complain about, he's saying, you know, it's good where God has me and how he's gotten me here. It is his good purpose. Now, here's an interesting thing. When he says, for it is God who works in you, my translation says to will. It's the same Greek word. The word is real. We could say, for it is God who works in you to work and to act. And it's the word from which we get the English word energy from. Energain is the word, energy. But in the scripture, it's very unique. It's only used of God. And the word not only is only used of God, but it always means his effectual work. He's not just working. He's actually bringing to fruition the purpose for which he is working. So when Paul says it is God who is at work, he is active in you. He's energized in you to actually do what he intends to do. And it is God who is doing it. That's the word work, only used of God. And so while we're to work out this thing, bring it to completion, it's because there is a power we can receive. There's a purpose we can attain or achieve, but there's a power we can receive in order to attain the purpose God has for us. And that purpose is, or that power is nothing less than the power of God. And the power of God is unleashed by the Holy Spirit of God. And so when the Spirit of God was given to the believers in Acts chapter 2, he says, you will receive power. And that word power, he tells us, is so as to be my witnesses. So the power God is giving us is not to lay hands on people and they raise from the dead. That may happen. I'm not denying that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the power to have a transformed life that enables us to testify to the good purpose God has and is doing in our lives. Not just verbally, but through our transformed life that demonstrates his work in our lives. So God is at work. He's exhibiting his power by means of the Holy Spirit to transform your life and mine through the 
various experiences that we have in order to mold us and fashion us like our Messiah. That's why it's a good purpose. Because his purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. And the more we become like Messiah, the better we are. And that is a good thing. And that is the good purpose for which God has called each and every one of us. We have, may have a distinctive role to play in the world by the gifts and talents and skills and ability he gives us. But we all have the very same purpose to become more like Messiah along the way. So that wherever we serve, wherever we work, whatever family we're in, whatever body we're a part of, we are to be Messiah to one another and to the world around us. So there is a purpose to achieve. There is a power to receive so as to do it. And there's a transformation to experience. And look at this transformation. I'm going to close here. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. The word here is used in the Septuagint to speak of Israel's complaining in the wilderness. Ten times Israel is is shown to complain to God. Sometimes there's not enough water. Not an illegitimate complaint. But when the God of the universe is there, what's there to complain about? But they complain about lack of water. They complain about lack of food. They complain about a lack of direction. They complain about the kinds of commandments that they are given. They complain about not going back. They complain about staying in the wilderness for as long as they are staying. The word in Greek is a real fun word. It's the word guganamas. Gugagamas, I think is how it's pronounced. It is what is called an onomatopoeia or an onomatopoetic word. It means the word sounds like what it is you're doing. So when it says they're complaining, they're guganamasing, guganamasing, gugana, you know. And it's this low, rumbling discontent that just wells up like a drum roll. And so what Paul is saying is don't be like that. Don't be a complainer that all you do is dig up the things that are dissatisfying and you're sort of guganamasening, you know, and you're just constantly bringing this up. And then he says, not only don't be a complainer, but he says, or an arguer. The word for argument, argument here means to speak evil of another. That's what they did to Moses. He intends to kill us in the wilderness. Is that why you brought us out here so that we would die in the wilderness? That's the kind of thing. Is that why you have done what you have done to destroy what is going on? He says, don't be like that. That's that's what leads to disunity. When we're complaining, rather than saying, look, I'm on the team, man. I don't like the play, but I'll run it to the best of my ability. It's what we do when we tear apart what is intended, whatever plan or thing goes on, and we start to destroy one another through it. Paul is saying, don't allow that to be a part of your fellowship. And if God is at work in you, you won't. You ought not. You shouldn't. And so he tells us, do all these things without it. And look what he says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault. And so as a result, he says two things. 
If we can be the hum, humble kind of persons we ought to be to one another, not complaining, not arguing, not bringing discontent, not guganamasening to one another. If we can be on the same team, then we will be a righteous people, he says. You cannot be righteous and be complaining, discontented. Paul will say in Philippians, I've learned to be content in whatever condition I am in. Can't be righteous and a complainer. Can't be blameless and holy and pure and be an arguer. You have to be on the team in a supportive role. Can have difference of opinion, can share that. But in the final analysis, all right, I'm here. I'll run the play. And if we go down, I won't be a one to say, hey, I told you so. But Paul then says two things will happen. There will be a, a manifestation to the world around us. And he says this, we will shine like stars in the universe in the black of night. He's saying the blackness is sort of like the corrupt generation we live in. We will be like stars that stand out in the midst of this dark, perverse, crooked, needful world. The word here he uses here is the same word that's used for the sun, stars, and moon in the book of Genesis and the Septuagint to speak of the light that it provides for the universe. And then he says, not only will we shine as lights, but he also says to us, we will be like a sacrifice poured out on the altar that gives praise to God, but requires the giving of ourselves. Now, just three things I'll say. Number one, the means to an end to this, the way to do this, I think requires three things. Number one, it requires a knowledge of God's word. You have to be in the word of God. And so Paul will say this uh, in Thessalonians, in uh, chapter, chapter 1, is it, I think, verse, uh, uh, chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. If you want to be transformed, as Paul is saying here, it will necessitate not only accepting the word, but welcoming it. That's what the word accept and received is used here. Acknowledging it, but then welcoming it into your heart and into your mind rather than fighting it. And then he says, it will transform your life. He says, the scripture is like a two-edged sword that will pierce into the very inner core of our being and will transform us and change us. The second thing is not only the word of God, but prayer. There needs to be connection with God. Yeshua over and over again illustrates the importance of prayer. Hours he spent in prayer. And there was not a neglect of connecting the word of God to prayer to God. And I think the third thing that will work to making these things a reality is the endurance of suffering. There's just no way to get around becoming the kind of persons God wants us to be without suffering. Someone has said, if there's no bleeding, there's no blessing. And you know, when you think of the great men of God throughout the generations, they have all suffered terribly for the cause of Messiah. Somehow, and for whatever reason, it is through the crucible of suffering 
that God just brings forth the fragrance of his character. It is through the burning of the furnace that the dross is purged from the gold and silver so that it emerges as a beautiful um, jewel. Word of God, prayer, trust, reliance upon God, suffering for the Lord in faith and in trust will result in a transformation of your life in a way that God will have you shine as lights and be an outpoured sacrifice for his glory. And as we look back, we'll say, look what I have accomplished or what God and what God has worked out through me. Look what I have brought to completion because of the power of God that was at work in me and through me. If we as Beth Ariel experience that and we are experiencing it, there is no telling what God can do in opening the hearts of many people around us. And there's no telling what impact we can have in this greater Los Angeles area, not only among the Jewish people, but among all peoples who need him. Let's pray. And as we pray, the ushers can come forward. Father, we thank you for this morning. We are grateful, Lord, for your kindness to us the preservation of your word, the truths that are contained therein, and your servant, Paul, that you raised up, not only for the time of his own life, but you raised him up for us here in the 21st century. Help us, Lord, as we heard your word to us, to accept it, welcome it, embrace it, and allow it to have its full way in our hearts. May we become more like Messiah and may we therefore be of greater praise to your name. Lord, we are thankful for these gifts that you have provided for us today. We are grateful, Lord, for your continued provision to our congregation. May they be used responsibly and may they be used effectually for the reaching out to the lost and the discipling of the saved. May each and every person be blessed. As your word says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We trust your word on this. We ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.